feel that pressure. You know how when sometimes when you're going to, you know, you're going to walk into a high tense situation and you kind of get this, maybe, maybe it's your adrenal, adrenal glands that begin to rise up and they start to stir and you kind of, you know, you kind of go, you've ever been in that moment before? I wonder if that's what the disciples were feeling. I also wonder what, what changed in the heart of the people that were laying down the palm branches that not long after this, they're the ones that are shouting, crucify him. What changed? What happened? How did all this come about? Are you traveling with me this morning? So we get to chapter 20 and Jesus gets his authority challenged. The, the religious leaders come and they're like, who the heck are you? Who gives you this Right. Watch this chapter 20, verse one. He says, one day as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law and the elders came up to him and they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things and who gave you the right? I'm like, bro, you're talking to Jesus. So what I love about Jesus is he always returns a question with a question. He says, well, let me ask you a question first. He replied, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? (laughs) Jesus put him in a corner. And they couldn't answer that question because either way they answered that question, they were going to get in trouble. So they said, well, we don't know. So then Jesus says, (laughs) I love this. He says, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. So he just clears the temple. He's angry. He comes out of that. He's teaching again. And, and, and these religious leaders come and they question his authority. How many of you like to have your authority questioned? How many of you like to be questioned at all? But Jesus continues to teach. The, the next event in chapter 20 is we see the parable of the evil farmers. I mean, Jesus is this close to the cross and he's still teaching. He's still teaching. He's still taking advantage of every opportunity in front of him to pour into some of his disciples. You got to get this because it doesn't matter what's going on around you. It matters what God's pouring in you. The devil wants you to focus on what's going around you instead of focusing on what God's trying to get in you. You got to get this. It didn't matter that he knew he was that close to the cross. He was still taking advantage of every opportunity he had to pour into his disciples. And I want to tell you something today that Jesus is still doing that to us. It doesn't matter what you're going through. He's still teaching you something. doesn't matter what you're going through. He's still pouring something into you. He still has a plan. He's still going to work through it. That's why he can say that I'll turn all things to the good for those who love me. Right? Jesus is still teaching. This is crazy. I mean, you're seeing this. I bet the disciples are going, man, this dude don't quit. We get around verse 20 and (laughs) this, this one blows my mind. Jesus pays his taxes. I'm like, man, you're close to the cross. (laughs) I mean, like you're about to get out. You you don't have to pay your taxes this year. I mean, you're no longer a citizen. I mean, (laughs) I don't know if I'd have paid. (laughs) Just joking. I would have paid. But he pays his taxes to Caesar in that moment. Okay, Zacchaeus got saved. Jesus rode into town. He wept over the people. He got angry, cleared the temple, gets his his authority questioned, still teaches, and then pays his taxes. (laughs) Yeah, busy man. But you know what's funny and what I I see from this when when it says that he pays his taxes is that I see that Jesus doesn't leave one thing undone. He doesn't leave one thing undone. Jesus is a finisher. 
He's, the Bible says he's the author and the perfecter of your faith. In other words, he's working in everything. You got to get this. He's, he's in the details. All right. You with me? So then after that, Jesus starts to, dis- to discuss the resurrection and he, he talks about how things are going to happen and what's going to happen here and there. And then he says, he, he poses a question, whose son is the Messiah? And he's trying to get his disciples to start focusing in on what's getting ready to happen. And he's getting them ready for when he ascends into heaven and he turns the church over to them. Are you getting this? I mean, these are the last moments that he has with his disciples to get them ready to, to build the church. I mean, Jesus is like leaving and, and he's had three and a half years with these guys. And the Holy Spirit's coming now, but Jesus is leaving. So, so the, the connection they had before, they won't have any more that way. They'll still have the connection, but it won't be the same. So he's getting them ready. So let me get to verse, I mean, chapter 21. Let me say this before we get to 21. In, in, in chapter 20, going back to Jesus is in, is in everything and he doesn't waste a moment. I want you to understand this, that Jesus, Jesus was with you in your moment of crisis. And, and he, he'd done something. Jesus was with you when your heart was broken. He was in the middle of your, your rehabilitation. He was in the middle of your worst downfall. He was in the middle of your crisis. He was in the middle of your, your relational issues. He was in the middle of your, when, when somebody took advantage of you, he was in the middle of your good times. He was in the middle of your bad times. You got to get this, that Jesus is always involved. He's always there. No matter what you're going through, he's always in it. You got to know this. Jesus just doesn't, Jesus just doesn't teach you something when bad things are happening. I learn when I'm rejoicing. I learn on the mountaintop and in the valley and anywhere's in between. He's always pouring something into us. Amen. And a lot of emotions starting to stir. You feeling the pressure starting to build? Let's go to chapter 21. Starts off with the widow's offering. Jesus is in a room with his guys and this widow walks in with this bottle of perfume. And she anoints him. And in that moment, Jesus teaches the disciples that she gave all that she had. She just didn't give from her surplus. She gave all that she had. So Jesus gets anointed in that time. Then the next thing we see is that Jesus begins to foretell the future. And he starts to talk about what's going to happen. And he does that for the remainder of chapter 20, 21. And, in, and at the end of 21, go, go with me to verse 37. I want to I show you something here that I saw this morning. It says this, that every day Jesus went to the temple to teach And each evening he returned to spend the night on the Mount of Olives. The crowds gathered at the temple early each morning to hear him teach. So every morning Jesus was in the temple teaching, but every evening he was in the Mount of Olives. It's important to know that he was in the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives represents, and I don't have time to teach the whole thing, but the Mount of Olives represents the Holy of Holies. It represents the place that only certain priests could go in the Old Testament, that, that, that only the priests could go into to, to hear from God. It was the Holy of Holies. Um, the, the Holy of Holies, when God had them build the temple, the, the, the post for the doors and the doors were made out of olive trees. So it's important. Jesus was in the Mount of Olives every night with, that's where he spent the night, 
But the Mount of Olives represents the Holy of Holies. Now, there's something there. You got to get this. Jesus daily went to a place that represented the Holy of Holies. And then every morning he went out to do what he was commissioned to do. This is important. If Jesus needed to be in the Holy of Holies, which represents an intimate place with you and God, a place where there's no distractions, a place where there's no, no things that can come in and disrupt. The Holy of Holies represents a place where you meet with God. You got to get this. It's a place where you either kneel, sit, stand before God, the presence of God. You can call it this. You can call it being in the presence of God. Jesus decided to spend every night in the presence of God. He slept in the Mount of Olives. And as believers, we have to be people who are disciplined, who are trained, and who are addicted to being in the Holy of Holies, in the presence of God. Because you can't do what God wants you to do if you don't get into the presence of God. You're going to see this when Jesus gets to the garden to pray with his disciples. You're going to see that he has this moment. He has this moment where he's on his knees and he's crying out to God saying, God, can we do this any other way? I believe if Jesus wouldn't have spent the time in the Holy of Holies, he may have answered a little bit different. You see, you've got to have the Holy of Holies. Are you getting this? You're looking at me like the mule at the gate. You've got to get this. You got, it's, it's vital. It's important for us as believers to spend intimate time with God. That's where you get the fuel in your tank. That's where you get your battery charged. That's where you get reminded of who you are. You get reminded of how he sees you. That's where he washes out the lies with the truth. That's where he calls you son or daughter again. Are you hearing me? It's in the Holy of Holies. If you never try to be in the Holy of Holies, if you never try to get into the presence of God, you never get to experience the presence of God. And let me tell you something, it's addicting. But it's also scary. Every night he went back to the Mount of Olives. You know, that's, new, that's, that's how Judas knew where they could catch him because Judas knew that he would be at the Mount of Olives. Let me get to chapter 22. Jesus begins to give us an example of never give up. One of the best examples of never give up. You know, when the pressure rises in your life, and things get hard, and struggles are right in front of you, and everything seems dry and just hard. You know, in those times, as a believer, that's times for you not to to sit on your tail and whine and complain. That's times for us to press in and to press through. You follow? Because Jesus gives that example. I mean, listen, he's, he's heading to the garden. He's heading to the, to the moment where he prays and sweats to the point of almost, it looks like blood dripping from his forehead. That's how high the tension is in this moment. He's getting ready to get there. He knows what's coming. The disciples are feeling pressure, but they don't know what Jesus knows. Jesus knows what's about to happen. So chapter 22, Judas, Judas betrays Jesus. (laughs) Jesus knew that too. Then we see the last supper in verse seven. I want to read this to you. Chapter 22, verse 7 says, Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived. When the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. They said, Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. 
And he replied, here we go again. As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room? Where can I eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. He will take you to an upstairs to a large room that is already set up. It's already set up. That is where you should prepare a meal. How'd that happen? I wonder if the disciples were going, man, you know, the donkey thing was cool, but I mean, now we're trying to get in somebody's house. I mean, come on, Jesus. I mean, I believe in stretching a little bit, but quite not, that, not quite that much. Come on, man. Seriously. Go find a guy with a pitcher of water. <laughs> okay. Hey, that guy's got a pitcher of water. Okay, now follow him to his house. Stalk him a little bit. And when he gets to his house, say to him, hey, we need you. We need your room. The master needs it. You see, following Jesus is fun. I said following Jesus is fun. It's adventuresome. You never know what's going to happen. But you know what? If he was never in the Mount of Olives, if he was never in the Holy of Holies, I wonder if he'd have heard what he heard or or was able to say what he was able to say. If he had never spent the time with God. You see, when you spend time with God, he sends you on a mission. And it's detailed. He may say, go to superfoods. There's a woman with a pink shirt. Pay for her groceries. Now you got two choices. You can say, no, that wasn't God. (laughs) God don't work like that. I didn't read that in the scriptures. Or you can say, or this sounds kind of weird, but I'll go. If there's a woman with a pink shirt, I'll pay. But you never know if you never go. You never know if you never go. Peter and John never know if the guy's going to be there with the pitcher of water, if his house is going to be ready, if they never go. See, if you never obey God, then you never know the power of God. Right? You never know the power of God. You never get to experience the deliverance or the, or the, the grace or the mercy or the, or the power of God if you never step out. We should never be afraid to step out on what God's calling us to step out on. Amen? He's got a plan and a mission for us. He sends them out. Now listen listen to me. In that moment, he's still teaching Peter and John that if you'll listen to what I'm telling you, if you'll do what I say, I will show you some incredible things. Even in a ridiculous moment, like go and find a guy with a pitcher of water. Jesus is teaching them something. What's he teaching them? Trust me. Even when it looks crazy, trust me. Even when you don't understand, in fact, especially when you don't understand, trust me, trust me. So they're at the last supper and Jesus gets to the last supper and he says this in verse 15, he says, I've been eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. 
Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. So he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in re- to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed by my blood or with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Watch this. But at this table, sitting among us as a friend is the man who will betray me. Jesus drops this bomb in the middle of supper. Think about that. I mean, he says this in front of Peter. You never know what Peter's going to do. Right? You never know what Peter's going to do. I mean, you, you call out somebody that's getting ready to betray Jesus, and you better watch out for Peter. I mean, because not long after this, Peter whacks the dude's ear off. Right? You never know what's going to happen to Peter. Jesus drops this bomb in the middle of supper. He says, one of you will betray me. For it has, been, it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples begin to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? And they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. <laughs> How stupid is that? But we do the same thing. Jesus told them in this world, the king's. And great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leaders should be the, like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who, who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus calls out Judas in that moment. He says, one of you going to betray me. In fact, Judas, Judas, they were all like, well, who is it? Who is it, Lord? The other, the other gospels say, who is it? They want to find out. And Jesus says, it's the one I'm dipping my hand in with right now. And it was Judas. Jesus drops this bombshell. Judas is going to betray me. Now, how Judas gets out the room, I don't know. What the disciples were feeling, I don't know. Imagine how Judas felt. I mean, he just gets called out in front of all of his buddies. He's like, I got to go to the bathroom. Excuse me. He runs for his life. I don't know. Jesus is telling the disciples, we're not going to eat this meal again until my kingdom comes. In other words, guys, it's about to be over with. You're getting this. Are you there? Can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you begin to sense it? Pressure. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Nothing but pressure. So then right after that, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. <laughs> they finish up supper and he goes, oh, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me. Three times and when the rooster crows, you'll know it happened. I want to show you something. I've never seen this before in Luke. 
Let's, let's look at verse 36 of chapter 22. It says this. It says, but now he said, take your money and a traveler's bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. You ever, you ever heard that before? You ever heard Jesus tell his disciples to go get a sword? Right after the Last Supper? He says, sell your cloak and go buy a sword because we don't know what's getting ready to happen. You see, Jesus knew what was coming. I don't know if he knew all the details. But he knew he was getting ready to suffer. It's clear because he stated it over and over and over again. And he's trying to prepare his disciples. And, but I, I believe Jesus knew he had to be on the cross. I believe maybe what he was nervous about is how he was going to get to the cross. So maybe that's why he told his disciples, hey, sell your cloak and go get a sword. You're going to need a sword. Are you seeing this? Could you say Jesus was nervous? Could you say he was anxious? Could you say that there was a lot of pressure? I never saw that. He says, for the time has come for this prophecy about about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. So they scrounge up two swords. Jesus told them to get swords. Now, most of you remember that in the garden, when they, when they come to arrest Jesus, Peter's, like, evidently Peter had one of the swords. No, go figure. Peter, Peter's got a sword, and Peter whacks the dude's ear off, and then Jesus goes, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. I'm going, but you told me to go get a sword. Are you seeing this? I'm going, man, what's up with that? You know, I mean, what's, what's the deal? You tell us to get a sword, then we can't use it? I bet Peter was like, dang, man, he told me to get the sword. Now I get in trouble for using it. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Verse 39 starts with Jesus in the Mount of Olives, basically the Holy of Holies. It says, then accompanied by his disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked, away, but a, he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from, the, from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Hmm. He prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. And at last he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you not give in to temptation. Think about that. You're in the garden. It's at night. You're at the place that, that, that Jesus is familiar with. It's the, it's the place that represents the Holy of Holies. You know what I find amazing is that it all took place right there. It all took place on the Mount of Olives. Later on, we'll see Jesus on the cross say, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? But he never did. Because the, the place that Jesus was crucified and the place that he was praying was all called the Mount of Olives. It all represents the Holy of Holies. You got to get this. 
Because you're going to get in a place where you feel like God is nowhere to be found, but you're going to have to remind yourself that he's still there. God was still in control. When they came to arrest Jesus, it was in God's place. You got to see this. God knew what was going on. He knew what was going to happen. And he controlled the situation, I believe. I mean, listen to me. This is his son. You see this? You see, when you go through things, the lie of the enemy is, is that God has forsaken you. If you're in pain, God has forsaken you. If you're hurting, if you're struggling, if you don't have enough, God has forsaken you. That's what the enemy wants to get you to believe. That God has left you hanging. Listen to me. It is not true. That is a lie from the deepest, darkest place of hell. It is not true. God does not forsake us. He does not turn away from us. Come on, somebody. He does not leave us hanging. You're a child of God. And when he took you and he adopted you, you became his son or daughter. And he now owns you. And he now takes authority over you. And he protects you. And he's with you. And he provides for you. He gives you a way of escape. He gives you a a place to cover. Come on. He's not going to leave you. But when you're going through something, come on, you holler back. When you're going through something, sometimes it feels like he's not there. Right? Sometimes it feels like he's not there. Sometimes you'll go, God, where are you? Why why has it got to hurt this bad? Why has it got to last this long? How do you know that, Pastor? Because that's what I say. Then where are you, God? Can you hear me? And the enemy's sitting there going, I can't hear you. He's mad at you. You did something wrong. You're not worthy. He don't love you. You seeing this? And God's going, what? I believe sometimes he just watches us to see if we're going to believe the enemy or not. You going to believe that lie? Or are you going to stand on my truth? Are you going to receive what the enemy's telling you? Or maybe what other people are telling you? Or are you going to believe what I've said? Are you going to stand on the foundation of my word? Are you going to stand on my promises to you? Or are you going to be shaken? Or are you going to be knocked off by a lie from the enemy? It's your decision. You're either going to stand or you're going to fall. The reason you need to be in the Holy of Holies and be in the presence of God is so that you can be refreshed like Jesus was when the angel came and restored him in that moment. You need to, you find that in the Holy of Holies. You find that in the presence of God. You find refreshing and restoring and re-energizing and renewing. You find that when you spend time with God. We need that. Listen to me, you need that. I need that. I need to be time, I need to have that time with God. If I'm being lazy and I don't want to spend time with God, that's my bad. That doesn't mean that he didn't show up. He was waiting for me to show up. Right? If I let distractions come and I don't make it a priority in my life, that's my fault. That's not his fault. He's faithful. He is always faithful to be there, to show up on time, waiting for us. All we got to do is show up and say, hey, Lord. Good morning. How are you doing today? And just spend time with him 
If there's no mystery to it. There's no, there's no one, two, three, four, five points on how you spend time with God. You just show up. Come on, somebody. You just show up. You bring your Bible or not, you just show up. You, you leave your cell phone in the other room on vibrate. And you show up. And you let him pour into you. Life. Liberty. Come on, you let him pour into you his power and his grace and his mercy. You let him, you let him equip you with all the weapons you need for that day. Because we don't know what we're going to face that day. You don't know if you're going to need to pull out the pistol of grace. Or pull out the sword of truth when the, when the, when the boss comes and lies at you. Right? You don't know what you're going to need to pull out. But if you don't ever go back to the storehouse, if you don't ever go back to God and, and re-equip... It's not my responsibility to get you there. Let's do this. Raise your finger. I want you to say this. It's all up to me. It's all up to me. I'm as close to God as I want to be. I can choose to be on the Mount of Olives or not. I can choose to build my life around my time with God or build my time with God around my life. The only way Jesus ever gets to the cross and the only way he ever raises from the grave is because he spends time with his father. You got to remember that Jesus was human and he felt everything that we feel. He can relate to everything that you'll ever feel. Every heartbreak, every emotion, every tragedy, every trial, Jesus can relate because he felt it because he was human. He knows what it's like to be in those situations where you're being tempted or you're, 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 there's something in front of you that's, that's calling your name and you may either fall into temptation. He knows what that's like. He was in the desert with the enemy for 40 days. The Bible says he was tempted in every way. There's nothing that you'll walk through that Jesus hasn't walked through already. So if he's already walked through it, then why not come down and and come and sit at the table with him and glean from his wisdom and and his experience and let him tell you what's coming up? Why not? He's got more experience than the rest of us. Amen. All right. Let me see if I can wrap this up. So Jesus gets into the garden. I wrote a note in my Bible that this is where Jesus deals with himself and the father. There's an issue. There's some, some doubt. There's some anxiety. There's some worry, some fear there. And Jesus in the garden deals with himself. And let me tell you something. You always got to deal with yourself first. Spouses, <laughs> husband and wives, you need to deal with yourself first before you deal with your spouse. It's just a little secret. It'll, it'll help you. It'll make it go better. Just deal with yourself. Get your junk under control and then say, okay. Right? We always need to deal with ourselves first. Jesus tells the disciples to get up and pray so you will not give in to temptation. And then here they come. Judas comes and he grabs Jesus and he gives him a kiss. And they go to arrest Jesus and Peter cuts the ear off and gets rebuked. Jesus has to heal the guy in the meantime. And that's how the story goes. We're going to stop right there today. 
Next weekend, we'll, we'll bring it all the way through the cross and the resurrection. But what I wanted you to see today was that it was a high tense moment. It was a high pressured situation. It was, it was a time of desperation. It was a time of anxiety. I bet the disciples were going, man, what's going to happen next? <clears throat> what's going to happen next? Man, what's going on, man? What's all this talk? <coughs> what's going to go down? You know, I believe we were given this story in the Bible because God knew we were going to walk through some similar situations. Some situations where you're trusting God for something and you're wondering if he's going to show up. Situations where you don't know what's going to happen next. You see, when the disciples come out of this moment, they realize that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. They realize that God knows. Come on, are you with me? That God knows. God knows. Even when I don't know, God knows. So my question for you today is, what are you trusting God for? What are you believing him for? But you're being tempted to not believe. You're being tempted to doubt. Is there an area of your life that you're believing God for physical healing or an emotional healing or some kind of a a relational restoration? What are you believing God for right now that the enemy's saying he's not going to do it? What are you walking through right now that the enemy's saying God's not with you? Whatever that is, is the thing that Jesus has given us the example to walk over. So he's, he, the example we just got this morning is that he's given us victory in it already. If we'll just stay the course. Amen.